Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'm going to speak at this one on the Saturday morning session. All the out-of-towners always say, well, aren't you speaking? We were looking forward to you ministering because wh whenever I go, wherever uh, we have services out of town, they receive, and of course, the prophetic moves and so on. But uh, I said, I, I do. I need to minister and minister to some of those that are coming, especially. And you guys can help me do that. And we believe we have our, our theme this year. It's going to be called Kingdom Legacy. And if you're going to leave a legacy, it needs to be for the kingdom of God. Amen? Hallelujah. And I've been praying for Stephen, ne his neck. Is your neck done well since his surgery? So that's good. But, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of people been through a lot of things. And almost felt almost felt guilty about preaching about the process the Wednesday night before Sherman and Virginia had their accident because I mentioned about anything can happen, car wrecks or whatever, you're going to go through things. And they have had to go through it. But you know what? God never intends us not to go through it. He intends us to make it through it so that we can overcome it. Amen? And we can produce something great for God's kingdom. But uh, this is the final message on being called and chosen. And at least I think it is. It's part nine. Actually, I did two parts and seven. So it's actually ten CDs worth of preaching and teaching. So if you ever want a copy, nobody really listens to CDs much anymore. But I do record it on CD because that's how I put it on the radio. I use parts of my messages on the radio, and people seem to like that. And Well, as long as I'm around and I can put it out there, it touches somebody. So I know the Crossroads boys, when they would come, they'd always say, uh, yeah, we know you. You always say, pull up a chair and get a hot cup of coffee. And I say, yeah, that's me. And they said, whenever we're out working, we're listening. And we hear you every day on the radio. So that is a blessing for them and many others. And I'm glad that I can do that. Uh, we're talking tonight about being a living sacrifice. See, when you're called and when God puts his marking on you, and then you become chosen. Amen? And uh, we just know that God's got a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And so when he chooses us, it's because we've reached a place in our life where we can be utilized for his best purpose. And so anyway, let's go on. And our theme, our text scripture for this whole series has been out of Matthew 20:16. So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. And, uh, you know, many are called. He's calling out all the time for people. He's put a calling on many people's lives. I was talking to Kelly before uh, about his daughter-in-law, and she is enrolling in a Christian college out of Colorado Springs or something. And uh, she said, I just feel called. And you know what? She's really entering the process when you make the step to sign up for college classes for ministry. And, you know, a lot of people, they got their think, thinking and thoughts about women ministers. But like Pastor Ken and I have always said, our fathers were saved under a female pastor in the late 40s. And the irony of that is uh, she was not that old then. And she ended up, uh, when I was in my 20s, I preached for her on a Sunday in Canal Lou, Missouri. How many ever been to Canal Lou? Two. Dave probably rode over on his motorcycle and looked by it. But uh, Canal Lou is over there, in, kind of in between Morehouse and the Sykeston area. It's right over there. It's to the right instead of the left, you know. You go left to Morehouse and Sykes and right to Canalo. Uh, but it's a little spot in the road, and I preached there at the Assembly of God Church. 
And uh, it's been, it was quite eventful when I was starting out in the ministry. That's why many are called, few are chosen. I preached in Greenbrier, Missouri, and they had an outhouse back then. And 15 people showed up on Sunday morning on horseback. I didn't know they were the dentist that they went to, and they had a riding uh, club. And so the, all the ones in the riding club stopped there, tied up their horses. I was watching. I was on this platform, and all these people get off their horses and come in. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I am really out here in the backwoods when people are riding to church on horseback. You know. Uh, anyway, I got up and preached, and they all appreciated a young preacher with a lot of enthusiasm. But, uh, you know, you do whatever you got to do. And I appreciate all those older ministers that put up with a young guy like me and invited me to preach for them. And I preached in 38 churches in the southeast Missouri, northeast Arkansas region over the years. I've uh, preached even farther down than that in other towns like Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and, and then down in deer country. They got more deer than they have people down in south Arkansas where Hampton and El Dorado is. But Hampton, Arkansas is a little spot in the road down there. That's where Brother Gorman was born and raised, and he was sat on the tractor and farmed over there in Hampton area. But uh, I preached their revivals. So, you know, you go wherever the door is open to you when you're young in the ministry. I preached in prisons, juvenile detention centers, uh, youth camps, youth uh, groups uh, in the Christian school in the homerooms. I didn't have one, so I went around to all the homerooms, gave devotionals, because I was hungry to be used of God. And if you're called, you don't want to just be on the shelf the rest of your life. You want to be used of God. So you know what? You start doing it wherever you can. I mean, if it's on the street corner, if it's, uh, like I said, wherever. And I went everywhere that I was invited to go. I hardly ever said no, because, you know, when you're young, you love to take advantage of every opportunity. Even when you're older, you do. I, I just about would go anywhere. I preached funerals where I was the only white person there. And they waved their hankies and jumped up and down and said amen as long as funeral I ever preached in my life. Yeah. I appreciated the enthusiasm there for the home going of the brother. But I preached Mexican funerals, other Spanish people's funerals. You know, wherever you get an opportunity to share the good news, you need to. You need to step out and do it and, and be a testimony, a living testimony. I sat there or on the edge of the window sill up in Barnes Hospital on Monday afternoon with Brother Sherman Thomas and his son, grandson Dustin. And we sat there, and the chaplain came in. He had long hair, young guy, eager, and just getting started. And so I prompted Brother Sherman to tell him some farming and John Deere stories. He had him going for quite a while, and he got to talking about when he met Sister Virginia, and he got tears in his eyes. And I appreciated it. And he... He's got such a, a tremendous heart, a precious heart of gold. And he shared, and that young man was touched, and I saw the twinkle of a tear in his eye. And then I said, well, help me pray for Brother Sherman today. And I said, you start and I finish. And so we did. We teamed, prayed over him. And it was a, just a tremendous time. The power of God just settled into that place. And uh, Brother Sherman, he's doing good. I mean, he was propped up. He was sitting up. He was talkative. He was smiling. And, you know, he's still got a broken jaw. But he is starting to eat a little bit of pureed food mostly. But, you know, he is getting some sustenance. And he's overcoming. When you're called and you're chosen, then you overcome. And they have that God's powerhouse out there. He said he dreamed. I think he heard somebody working down the hallway, and he thought he went down there. And 
said the nurses had to tell him he had to get back in his room, but I know he couldn't walk, and he hadn't been in a wheelchair as far as I knew. But anyway, he thought he'd gone down there, and he said, oh, I was, I was thinking I was at my church. He said, we're building God's powerhouse. And, and so, you know, in his mind, his heart and mine was in Brosley at God's powerhouse. So what a tremendous blessing his life is to many. And uh, so I talked to Derek this afternoon. They were going to move him to Jonesboro, but he wasn't sure when. He thought maybe tomorrow, but Derek said the transportation company that does the, the moving of a patient for that uh, place in Jonesboro couldn't do it until Sunday morning. But uh, they were going to see if they connect with somebody else. But if not, he'll be down Jonesboro in a few days, and, and uh, anybody would like to see him then wouldn't have as far to go. And so it's just about 75 miles instead of 150 miles to go see him. And, but the hospital, or I'm sure the rehab is going to be smaller than Barnes Hospital. That's a, that's a big place. You gotta, it's like you went across town when you're walking across that hospital. But God has a plan, and he's going to perfect us. We're not perfect. I think Zach was even talking about that. You can't wait till you're perfect to do anything for God. You have to let him work on you. Let him perfect you. That's what it's about. But in Matthew 20, 16, we see that. Many are called, but few are chosen. Then we look over at Romans chapter 12. We're going to stay primarily in this chapter tonight. So as we look there, let's see this. In verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So I have a number one key is this. you got to yield to God. Your body is got to be yielded unto God. Your body, soul, and your spirit. you got to say, here I am, God, use me. And so he said, I beseech you. Anybody ever use that word, beseech? We don't normally do it. But Paul, when he wrote it, he was emphasizing, I beseech you, I'm telling you, brother, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice. In other words, you don't have to lay on the altar and let them kill you, but you need to lay your life down to be useful to God. So he said, I beseech you, I'm telling you, give yourself to God, yield your life to God, and see what he might do with you. And then we see in number two is this. Don't conform to this world. Let's read the verse now. And verse two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You've got to yield your mind. You've got to be conformed to him and his agenda in your mind how many times is it the uh, reaction of us how you doing today brother oh my goodness i tell you what if i had another day like this i don't know if i'd make it very long yeah you can't let your mind be drawn down into that mud you've got to say hey by the grace and mercy of God, I'm overcoming. I'm going to be victorious. I'm going to witness to some people. If the devil gives me too much trouble, then I'm going to torment him by telling about 20 people that Jesus loves them. You know, I met a man in Valdosta, Georgia one time. His name was Bob Shatos. Bob Shatos was an evangelist. He was an old-timer, and... He, he literally handed out these little prayer cloths, like the little handkerchief things that I anoint and give people to go, people to take for healing for people. Well, he handed these out, and they were anointed because he had this tremendous ability to win souls. But also, he was part of that move where literally it looked like glitter falling on people when he'd pray for them. We called it gold dust. That's the only way we could describe it. 
back in the charismatic movement back in those days. But he said it just started happening wherever he would pray with people and preach. And you know what? It fell on us that day when we went there. And then another time, you know, the first time I ever saw it happen was at a meeting in Destin, Florida with Ken Summerall and there was about 20 of us leaders of different organizations and churches that were part of the Church Foundation Network, which I was on that committee or whatever council they called it of leadership of over 2,000 pastors. So I was, uh, I won't say I was one of the top, but I was part of the 20 that helped govern over 2,000 ministers. And so he asked, he said, what do you men think about this gold dust thing, this thing where this like glory dust was falling on people? And I, we didn't know. We looked down and there it is all over my Bible. It was all over Tom Roberts' Bible next to me. And then another man next to him, just three of us. But it was all over our Bibles. What, why was that significant? I don't know. I'm kind of crazy like that. I'll believe for anything. You know, I was glad to receive it. And everybody jumped up and come over and looked. They picked it up, put it in their hand. It was just like glitter, you know. And then I started seeing it happen in meetings. For years, especially in Mexico, it happened. But that that's not what you seek. You seek him in his presence. And then sometimes you have signs and wonders, or signs that make you wonder anyway. That's the way I always looked at it. But you can't be transformed by the things of this world. You need to be conformed to the renewing of your mind in Christ. What is God's will? What does he want? Well, I know he wants me to be a witness wherever I go. And so Bob Shadows shared about that. He said he, he determined if the devil was going to give him any trouble, he'd just tell five people a day that Jesus loved him. And so... You know, you start telling too many people Jesus loves them, the devil might just go bother somebody else after a while. But you endure hardship as a good soldier. Don't go backwards, go forwards. And he said he went into that, I think it was a Kmart or a grocery store or something. I've told you this story in the past, but how he went in that line and he got up and it was like five minutes till five in the afternoon and he, this gal... She was just kind of surly and didn't look like she was happy to be there waiting on people. And she was, and he said, aren't we having a good day today? She said, don't you start on me. Just like that to a customer, the, the lady, you know, that's handling the register. He said, well, I'm sorry, but I can tell you, Jesus loves you. God cares about you. And she broke down and began to cry. He was her last customer. And this lady was going to get off. She said, you don't know what you said to me. He said, well, I just told you Jesus loved you. She said, look, I'm getting off work in about three minutes. And I told God this morning, said, my boyfriend left me. My lights were turned off. I'm probably going to get evicted out of my apartment. And I told God, I said, God, if you're real, have somebody tell me today that you love me. Because if you don't, I'm coming home and I've got a gun and I'm going to blow my brains out. She said, you don't know how close it was to me going home and killing myself. said, but you told me Jesus loved me. And that changed everything. And so then he prayed for her. And that changed it even more. But I don't know what the outcome of that was. But he said every day he determined he would tell at least five or ten people that Jesus loved them. After he told that story, I began to do that myself. Everywhere I would go, I would tell them, you know, the Lord loves you or God cares or Jesus loves you. And it's amazing how many people, most don't respond negatively. I'll tell you what, even if you offer to pray, I don't know if you all remember that conference I had, and it was the theme was One Amen. And I had these T-shirts made up here, and it's called One Amen on the shirt. And that whole deal was about 
one prayer, one amen with somebody can make a difference for the rest of their lives. And this is what we're talking about, conforming to the way Jesus thinks, conforming to the way God wants you to think, not being, oh, i tell you what, this is a horrible day. No, i tell you what, this is a great day. I'm alive. I'm saved by grace. I'm being sanctified daily by the Holy Ghost. And God is going to raise me up to be a witness of His glory. And I believe He can do the same for anybody else. Let's go to the next one there. It says, Grace is there not to prove your worth. Think about that while we read the Scripture. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He's put a little bit of faith in every person so that when... See, this is the way it works. When you share the gospel with somebody, they have a chance of receiving it and making a life-changing choice. And why is that? They couldn't do that. They'd think this is ludicrous. In fact, Paul even wrote that, for the preaching of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And the, that, that just reiterates what I'm talking about. See, the grace of God allows us to be changed. And it's not there so we can show how big we are, how wonderful we are. Everyone was given a measure of faith. Everyone is valuable to God. Everybody's important. You may be super gifted, but everybody is still loved by God. It doesn't matter whether they're little grandma and, uh, you know, my aunt, she has somebody that works for her sometimes, and she says, this guy is just misunderstood because he has some struggles. And she says, he's just misunderstood. I said, yeah, it could be, you know, because not everybody understands where somebody else is coming from. And so, you know... Uh, I prayed over a lady over in Barney two or three Sundays ago when I was over there and prophesied a word over her. She's an educator. And one of her specialties is dealing with people with uh, dyslexia. Anybody here have dyslexia? Okay. I think my wife would tell you she, she gets letters sometimes turned around. But... Dyslexia is when you get like two letters switched. You know, it's an it's an eye to the brain thing. It's not have nothing to do with your intellect. Uh, I could tell a bad joke, but anyway, I told this lady the bad joke. She got a kick out of it because she she teaches people that are dyslexic. I just I'll go ahead and tell it anyway. But uh, uh, atheist that was dyslexic said there's no dog. An atheist usually says there's no God. Well, they got the letters transposed in his head, so he said, there is no dog. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny myself. And she did too. She got a kick out of that uh, because she teaches it. But the fact is, there's a lot of people that have struggles that we don't have. And it doesn't mean they're less intelligent or that they are... Some of them are, have very high IQs that suffer. Uh, another thing is, is uh, what is it, uh, autism. Sometimes autistic people, high-functioning ones, are very brilliant sometimes. And then we have other things like ADHD. Is that it? Did yeah. I say that right? Attention deficit hyper disorder. You know, and we had a boy... Pastor Ken was the principal of the school that we started down there in uh, Homestead, South Miami region there at that church. And we had a boy that was having a lot of problems in class. And the teacher couldn't handle him. He just fidgeted like crazy. 
and Pastor Ken talked to me. I'm an educator by trade, and we got to talking, and I said, well, you know this kid, he doesn't seem like he's deficient in intelligence. Why don't we put him in Loretta's class? That's Lucia's sister. Loretta was excellent at teaching kids how to read. And I, what was she, first grade or, or kindergarten? She first grade at that time? She was first grade at that time, and we moved her to kindergarten five later. But uh, Loretta, she could sing, very good singer. And sometimes she'd sing those songs that would allow the kids to learn real well. I couldn't tell you all of them, but she had all these different songs for different uh, things that the kids were learning. And this little kid, I'll never forget his name, Timmy Smith was his name and Timmy Smith was very bright and Loretta got him to learning and he quit being so hyper attention deficit disordered to where he could concentrate he just was like a sponge he soaked it all up and we were amazed weren't we Pastor Ken when we got his achievement scores back he was off the chart I mean, brilliant. And the parents, actually it was the mom and then the stepdad, only thing is they weren't married. And so we, because she was a believer and he wasn't or something like that, anyway, they ended up coming to me a short time, like six months later, and said, Pastor, they started coming to church regular. When their son started getting better, then... They decided that church was for them, for sure. They started going to church. And then, after a few months, they said, Pastor Kevin, we want you to marry us. We want to make things right. Isn't that amazing? They made things right. They got married. His business was going good. He would open, I think it was Target stores. He was like the manager over getting them ready to be opened. And they ended up having to move off, but... Not before Timmy Smith got on the good track to his learning and not being made out to be some kind of deficient kid. And, uh, you know, so it's important that we get the mind of Christ. And uh, I, would, I would research things. You know, there's all kinds of different things that you can find, like some kids have scotopic illness. That's where... They can't read black print on a white page. But if you can get them a certain kind of sunglasses or certain colors, because that's how we would test them, uh, see if they could read with yellow film over it or green or red or something, pink, you know. And there's one girl that I thought might have that illness, and I had her parents go test her because she was on the borderline of being in special ed classes and and I got her tested for her eyes. I thought she might have scotopic illness. And they took her to the eye doctor and she was wearing glasses and they found out she didn't even need glasses. And so they took the glasses away and then she could read perfectly. You know, so we stumbled into that one. But that's the way God works is he'll use you to get the mind of Christ to help other people. It's truly amazing. And so we don't try to prove our work. We're trying to help prove everybody else's work. And when you're serving God, you're not about, oh, i got to prove who I am. No, we need to prove who God is so that others can change their value. Number four, you're a team player, so accept your position. Not everybody on a team plays the same position. Zach was a quarterback in football. He had the mentality for it. I didn't want to get hit like he got hit so many times. He got tackled a whole bunch of times, and his brain is still working to this day. I tell you what, I wondered if I should have let him play at times. But he led them boys. Those boys followed him. He was smart enough. He had common sense, and the guys were loyal to him, and they went all the way to the district playoffs or whatever to go to state playoffs, and they scored more points than any other team in the Papa Bluff Mules history. 
in the whole school's history. I don't know if they've surpassed it since, but uh, they scored a lot of points. They were high flyers, as they call them. And uh, he knew his position. And now what they do, he's leading the church. He's the Sunday morning speaker and the teaching the congregation. He's still leader today. Uh, I was a sports person. I was always a coach, player coach coming along. I coached uh, Babe Ruth teams when I was a junior in high school playing high school baseball. I coached it with my, my buddy Don Hendricks who was a senior in high school. We coached the senior Babe Ruth teams, 15-year-olds. You know, and so it's always in my DNA to try to coach people, to try to help people to grow and to find their purpose in life. Back then it was just sports. But see, what you do in this life mirrors kind of what God wants you to do for the kingdom in many ways. So we see uh, in the scripture, for as many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Is that both okay? So like I was using an analogy of a football team, you had to have guys on the line, people who blocked. They had a center who hiked the ball. You had guards, they called them, who guarded next to the ball. And then you had tackles. You know, if you ever saw that movie Blindside, that was about this big old boy, Michael Rohr, who was a left tackle. The left tackle was the one that protected the quarterback most of the time because most quarterbacks were right-handed, so they would roll out that way and throw so that left tackle would protect them. Well, everybody's important. In a football team, it's the guys going out for the passes, the boys running the ball, quarterback passing the ball. We each are members, but we don't all have the same function. Tonight we had Kevin on the bass guitar. We had Zach playing the keyboard. We had Lucia singing harmony with Zach. You know, and then one day I'm, I'm looking forward to somebody regularly playing those drums and having a lead guitar player. TJ, if you're watching, we're waiting for you, brother. Anyway, that's somebody watching us on TV tonight. And he plays the guitar. Then... We have others that can play different instruments. I tell you what, down in South Florida, we had a man that played the congos and the bongos, bongos and, and all those extra things, the cucarachas or whatever you called them anyway. I don't even know if that is an instrument. <laughs> Tambourines, <laughs> maracas, not cucarachas, maracas. <laughs> Cockroaches. <laughs> That's when you stomp your foot a lot, stomping on the cockroaches. Yeah, But anyway, it's important that everybody is a part of the team. And you learn to play your position. That's why children's ministry is important. Nursery is important. And music is important. Receiving the offering, being an usher, helping people find their way that are new, know where the bathrooms are, and helping somebody get a cup of coffee, you know. Uh, sometimes just being friendly. Somebody's got to be friendly. And then teaching ministry and just so many things. Youth ministry, just so many different things can be an asset. And then the next one we see, number five, is you have different gifts according to your faith. So what is your faith up for? When I moved to Poplar Bluff to be associate pastor, at, at now it's called Bluff First, but at First Assembly of God Church, I had to be the worship leader, the youth pastor, and the school administrator. Well, guess what? My gifting was really good for school administrating. And I'd been a youth pastor before, so I like kids, but, you know, I, I was with them all week in the Christian school, so by the time it was youth group, it was a little getting a little overwhelming. But leading worship, I love music, but I had to have index cards because I could not remember words for anything. I don't know why I get a blank, but I think it's just because I worried more about was I going to be singing the right tune to the right words 
or was I going to be leading in the right tempo and all this? And so it was very concerning to me. And so if you don't know how to do all that altogether, you're not as good at it. And I was so happy when the pastor told me one day, he said, you think you can find us somebody, one of your friends or something that are interested in being a youth pastor? Maybe they can also lead worship? Because the school was growing by leaps and bounds. It was demanding more and more of my time. And two, I took on the basketball team after our coach left. So the next year I was a coach. And we did good. That's my forte. I love that. And so I got one of my friends, Larry Cook, to come in. He was the youth pastor and the worship leader. That's just old hat to him. He, man, that's second nature. He was a good musician and a good singer. His wife sang with him. And, and it was a blessing. And it was a blessing to me to step down from that. So, but you know, and before that, I, I wasn't always so good at it. I dropped my index card one night, bent over. I'd wear suits back in those days, and I split my pants from the middle all the way up to my belt in the back. I had three women behind me singing background, and they saw it, you know, not it. They saw my pants split. And so I stood up real quick. I raised my hands. I said, everybody, raise your hands and close your eyes. The Spirit of God's moving right now. And Pastor Snavely is coming to the pulpit. And I, I, he was kind of surprised. He came over and took it. And I walked off the stage back by where the baptistry was and went out the side door. <laughs> went out to the parking lot, got in my car, and drove home. And I had to change pants. And I came back. About the time I came back, the offering was over. I just slipped in the back. They thought I was just getting a drink or something somewhere. I came back in, sat next to my wife. She said, yeah, you got some different pants on. She saw what happened. She was one of the singers up there. She knew what had happened. I said, yeah, you know I did, didn't you? And I said, you know, these are the moments, the bloopers that you have in the ministry. And uh, I could have cared less if I ever led worship again. But I did like taking the service when I was a pastor right at the end of worship and singing that final song, another round or two just stand around and if the spirit was moving then the words of god came forth and and so on but uh not to do it all the time i commend zach and all the guys who lead worship that they do a good job i'm glad i don't have to be the one i've led it here on wednesday night a couple of times and it didn't last very long if you remember some golden oldies and when i was done we were all done that was the way it was but anyway, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. It says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our own ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Hallelujah. Everybody's got a gift. We had a man years ago that would come up, and I don't know how many times he did it, but he'd, he'd shake my hand, usually on a Wednesday night, and he'd put money in it. And I'd say, thank you very much, and I'd put it in my pocket. Sometimes I'd look. Maybe it's a $100 bill, or maybe it's three 100s. I remember one time, it was about two weeks before Christmas, and he came up and shook my hand, I felt there was more than, more than one bill, and I said, thank you, and I put it in my pocket, and then a, a single mom came in with her three kids. They went, sat down. They were going to go to children's church or whatever, and, and she said, oh, pastor, can you pray for me because, you know, it's been slow at work, and I don't have no money to get my kids any Christmas presents this year. Can you pray that God will provide? And I started feeling that tug at my heart, and See, I didn't always have to give like that, but I put my hand in my pocket and I pulled it out and I opened it up and there was three $100 bills. And I said, here, go get them something nice and tell them the Lord provided that. Don't tell them I gave it to you. And so God blessed me and within moments I blessed them. And God has never let me down. I mean, so many times. 
that I wondered where I was going to get the money for something. And God uses somebody to provide, whether it's to fix something or go on a mission trip or do something. God puts it on somebody's heart and they help me. I, I'd never have had to be a beggar in the ministry. You just need to be generous and be a giver. And when you give, it'll be given back unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men will come and put it in your bosom. I mean, so many times that has happened. Another time, you know, I could just go on and on like that. But it, when you give, you give liberally. You got a gift for it. And when God gives you that gift, if it's teaching, you teach. I teach. I love to teach the Word of God. And so, you know, others have other giftings, and it's wonderful when they do. Well, let's look at number six. Don't be a hypocrite. Choose good over evil. Every time. You know, it's so easy. Say evil, but let's just say carnality or sin or transgression. It's so easy for the devil to try to lure us into temptation of some kind. And it's not always a sexual temptation, since I'm talking to more men than women tonight. But it's other things, too. God will try, the devil will try to lure you, but God has a blessing for you. He has a promise for you. So, you know, don't be a hypocrite. Choose the good instead of the evil. And then the scripture, the next verses, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Just hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Isn't that awesome? Cling to what is good. Try to be helpful when you see people that are hurting. You know, and don't try to step in and do something that's to your own pleasure, your own flesh. You know, sincerely look to do good every time you look around. And then, you know, people won't be able to say, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites over there. Well, there's hypocrites everywhere. But it doesn't, you know, you got somebody working at Dollar General or at Walmart or something. Oh, I can't wait till this day is over. I just hate this place. Well, they don't need to be working there. They need to be like that guy that he doesn't do it as much anymore, but for a while he was always Welcome to Walmart. I thought, man, they ought to put him on TV. That is something. He was so welcoming. I guess somebody got all over him or something for being so loud and boisterous. I thought that was tremendous, you know, that he did that. Uh, maybe he did it as a joke at first, but yeah, I liked it. You know, but you need to like what you're doing. You need to cling to that good thing and not be have a bad attitude. And then we see number seven. Don't be selfish. Amen? Being selfish is where you don't want to share with other people. And you just want it all to yourself. But God doesn't bless that. You get a lot more benefit when you're willing to share with others. And verse 10 and 11 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Man, how exciting that is, you know, to, to serve the Lord. You keep your fervor. Stephen, that's what I like about you. He has always got the fervor. He always says, hey, brother, and gives me a big old hug. You know, he truly shows what's on inside his heart, and that's to love others. Dave, I always like seeing Dave. I love seeing all of you guys. You know, we all have something in common uh, that we can talk about and share about. It's tremendous. But we prefer one another. We're not selfish. And then number eight, be good, positive, and prayerful with others. That means be good to other people. Be positive with them. Don't be negative. Don't say, you know what, you're just going to mess up over and over. You're just never going to change, are you? <laughs> and the other are not going to change if they hang around you very long. They're just going to be in the mother grub. But no, be good, positive, be prayerful. 
And then we see in verse uh, 12, it says, Rejoicing, that means being excited, rejoicing, in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Keep praying with people for the good things to happen. Amen? And it will eventually. It, they, they'll go over the top. And then number nine, be hospitable, helping with other needs. You know, it's great to be hospitable. Offer somebody a glass of iced tea. Offer to buy them a cup of coffee. Sit down with them. Sometimes it might mean buying a meal. I've bought many a person a meal. A lot of them have been homeless at times. And uh, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes they could have been an angel maybe. But, uh, you know, God says sometimes you entertain the angels unaware. But I always see an opportunity. I don't give money to homeless people because I don't know what they're going to do with it. There's a reason why they're homeless. So you got to talk to them a little bit to find out. And if you find out, well, they got a drug problem or something, you don't want to give them money. But if you're hungry, come on in. Let me buy you something. I did that one day, and I bought this guy, Bubba, three tacos, and two associates were with me, and I made them sit down and eat with this guy because I ate with him. And then he came to church the next Sunday. He brought his bicycle, wheeled it right in, put it in the lobby, came, sat down. He would never tell me his real name. You know why? Because sometimes people are embarrassed at the state of their life. And he had been a manager of a, of a radio shack. He became an alcoholic and gambling, and he lost his, his money. He lost his job. His wife left him with the kids. He lost his home, and he lost the Mercedes-Benz car that he used to drive. And he wound up riding the train all the way across from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, all the way over, and then he found his way all the way down to Miami. And he ended up under the bridge about a half a mile from our church. And that's when I met him. And he made me call him Bubba because he didn't want me to know his name. I wish he had come back more so I could have known his real name and then tried to help him get his way somewhere. But, you know, I never saw him again after that. I looked for him. So who knows? I don't think angels lie. They don't tell you they used to manage a radio shack and get, became alcoholics. I don't think an angel would lie to you like that. So I knew he wasn't an angel. But something happened. Maybe we pushed him along the way and he decided to get it right. But anyhow, we did our part. We were hospitable and we tried to help. And then we see the last point is number 10. Treat all people well. All. Red, yellow, black, or white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. Then the verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So there it is. Treat all people well. All. Doesn't matter whether they're your buddies or not. You know, it doesn't matter whether, you know, sometimes people don't smell that good. I'll just be blunt. You're wondering, should they get in my car? Are they going to make it smell for a long time after? You can get fumigation stuff. I've done it. But you can help people. I've told people, I told one guy, he didn't smell too good. He hadn't been taking a shower or anything. I said, you know, you really need, I'm trying to be a good pastor to you. You really need to take a bath. And you need to put on some cologne. And you need to shave and put on a clean shirt. 
I said, do you ever want to get married? Yeah. I said, well, you can attract a bear with honey a lot more than with vinegar. Yeah. I said, you got to make yourself more presentable. And that takes work. But I'm here to tell you, and so I love you, and I'm telling you, and if you'll do what I tell you, things will look up for you. It'll get better. But if you do it, if you don't do it, then you know what? You just shot yourself in the foot. It wasn't me who messed you up. But if I encourage you to do that, to become better, not worse, and God will help you. I was going to read Hebrews 12, but I'm not concerned about that now. That is out of Hebrews 12. You can read that on your own. But I just want to encourage you tonight that we are chosen by God because of our availability more than our ability. And when you make yourself available, then God can make your ability shine. A lot of people live on their talents and they never practice. I've had worship leaders before that didn't practice. They come in, just lead worship by the seat of their pants. They didn't pray about it. You know, when I teach, it's because I studied and I mapped out a plan and I, and I have a lesson for you. So we all learn something. But when you just come in by the seat of your pants, you, you're not doing anybody a favor. And that person been up and down and in and out in different places. But once my son became of age enough, I put him in there because he really wanted to do good. He's almost a perfectionist, and he's more a perfectionist than I am. But, uh, you know, it's because he wants it to be done right, and he wants people to do it right. And he wants a good attitude, too. Don't get me wrong. But, you know... We have to help people for their talents and their abilities and their gifts to come forth, for them to fit in. Everybody fits somewhere. Everybody's got something to offer. And so offer it to Jesus. Offer your body, your soul, your spirit as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you and we thank you that we are able to share with you the truth of your word and we love you and you love us and you want us to do good. So I pray that everything will work together for good as we go forward in you and that we include others, that we help others, we love others, that we do the good things for your kingdom's sake. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm done.